a, we, have, we still have debt on the, the building that we're in now, and we've knocked down almost two-thirds of it's away. We're on the last run of this debt. And, um, and so for the next three weeks, we're asking you as a church just to be in prayer on, on, on what, what part we all have to, to knock out the debt. Uh, February the 7th will be the day that we, we sort of pledge uh, as a church, what we, our our household, our our home wants to give and to be a part of, and you guys, well, what does that have to do with making disciples of all nations? Well, first of all, it's making di- disciples of those here. The, this church, God has used it, and many of you have invested uh, in, in 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 sacrificed so much, and many lives in Nassau County have been changed because of of what what God has done here. Also, we have a commitment as a church that we pay about eighty-three grand a year towards the debt from the church itself. And when this debt's paid off, all that every year is going to go to our missions account, and it's going to boost it up from what it is to that much more. And we hope even more than that, because we want to use—you know—we believe God wants to use this church to make His name great around the world. And we want to do as much as we can to make that occur. So we invite you to just continue to be in prayer. Uh, and uh, we've got just a few more weeks, and then we'll have that day to pledge. I'm going to ask for our ushers to come forward at this time. And uh, as we continue our worship and giving and rec- receiving of tithes and offerings, I want to ask for you to j- join me once again in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for today, the chance to be in your house. And, Lord, we just ask that... Um, You'll be glorified in all that we do today, that you'll help us to be faithful uh, uh, in the big things and the small things. And Lord, with what is, is given today, Lord, may it be used to make your name great here and around the world. Thank you so much that you want to use us and you allow us to be a part of your plan. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, last week we um, began a brand new series on prayer, 
And uh, the whole point of uh, last week's message was really to try to define the term. What is it that we mean when we, when we use the word prayer? And we hopefully have seen at least that prayer is more than just closing your eyes, bowing your head, and asking God for stuff, to give you stuff. We said in short that prayer is communication with God. It's communication whereby God initiates a conversation with us by revealing uh, who he is and, and revealing to us his will to us through the word of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we in turn respond to him. We respond to him in light of that revelation. And as we respond to him, that's when prayer takes place. You know, as I've been reading and studying uh, several contemporary authors on this particular subject of prayer, I've noticed that many of them uh, will oftentimes in informing their arguments and trying to instruct how to pray and what prayer looks like, they find themselves quoting oftentimes great men of God and women of God who have lived in the past throughout history, men like Augustine and and Martin Luther and John Calvin. and, 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 And certainly I would agree that with these great men, God has allowed us to receive their teachings and we can learn a lot about how to pray and what prayer is all about. But my heart really kind of gravitates to the words of Eric Alexander, who writes these words. He says, they are all, speaking to those men, he says, they are all imperfect, fallen people like ourselves. It is incomparably safer to put ourselves under the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who has left us a substantial body of teaching about prayer and perfect example of praying recorded in the Gospels. His point is, hey, look, there's nothing wrong. We actually ought to read some of these men's teaching on prayer. But if we're smart, what we really need to do is go to the source. Because Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God, has taught an immense amount on this topic. We have recorded in the four Gospels many of his prayers and even specific teaching on how to go about praying. And so what we want to do is we, we want to do that very thing. We want to, we may, uh, through this series, talk about what others say about prayer, but we really want to focus on what Christ had to say about prayer. And one of the most famous passages, one of the most well-known passages of prayer is found within Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. Now that context is significant, and here's why. Uh, this whole Sermon on the Mount was written by Jesus to let us know what the Christian life looks like. How, we ought, how it ought to be ultimately lived. So the fact that he would provide instructions about prayer within the context of how we should live is ultimately letting us know that prayer is significant and ought to be significant and integral to our life. Now, all of us, if we're Christians, we would probably admit, hey, look, I pray, I pray, but in the back of our minds, we understand that we're probably not praying as we are or as often as we are. Look, I don't want to just pray. I want prayer to be integral and significant in every aspect of my life. Do you guys hear that? And that's where we all need to be. It's what God would want us to do. Nothing apart from prayer is what some of the reformers would often say. So what we want to do is we want to look at what Jesus has to teach specifically here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, what he does is he provides for us a model of prayer that's broken up into two portions. Uh, The first part of it that we're going to look at today is going to be the manner in which we are to pray. And next, the following two weeks, we're going to talk about the matters to which we are to pray. In other words, what we're supposed to pray about. So whereas that teaches us what we're supposed to pray, today is really answering the question, how are we supposed to pray? 
When we approach God, what attitude should we have? What condition should our hearts be in? How should our minds be focused? And this is what Jesus explains to us really here. And, and, and I've got to tell you this. I've struggled all week with this message. And the reason I've struggled with it is because it's so simplistic. I'm going to literally share the message and you're like, and because, right? Because it's literally that simple. But I figure if Jesus wants us to know something simple, it might be simple, but it certainly is significant, right? And so there are three things that we see within the word of God that we need to do, how we need to go about praying three ways. First of all, we need to pray with sincerity, with sincerity, all right? Now, notice verse five. The Bible says this. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrites, let me give you a little background to that. The word hypocrite in the Greek literally refers to an actor, a pretender, or a person who plays a role. The etymology of that word, which is simply a big word that talks about the history or the origin of that word, where it comes from, it means that it really comes from ancient Greece and the theater. It actually was a word that would describe actors on stage who would use masks and they would put them over their faces and they would have either smiley faces or frowny faces or, or fearful faces or, or, or angry faces. And what they would do is they were playing a part. And so what that mask did is it actually masked what that person was really like, but it portrayed to somebody else what they wanted to ultimately portray. So that's kind of the context of what this word uh, hypocrite actually means. But let me suggest this. I don't think I have to tell you the original Greek, nor do I have to give and follow the etymology and the for original origins of that word. For you and I understand very well that the idea of being a hypocrite is not a good thing. Would we all admit I think in our culture, we have such a disdain for hypocrites or anything like it. In fact, you can call me anything you want to, except don't call us what? A hypocrite. Because we understand it really identifies us as being insincere, phony, two-faced, has all those negative connotations involved in it. And nobody wants to be one. In fact, never in the history of mankind has there ever been a time that Meemaw and Pawpaw has asked the little grandchild Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up, little Johnny? And they go, I want to be a hypocrite, Mama and Pawpaw, right? It just never happens. Nor do parents affirm their children in that and sit back and go, well, son, you could be anything you put your mind to. You want to be a hypocrite? You go be a hypocrite. Nobody wants this idea. Nobody wants to be a part of that. And so what we find is what Jesus is warning us about is this. Hey, you may have good intentions about praying, but you need to be warned and be very careful because the very thing that you're wanting to do may ultimately lead you to hypocrisy. And so what he does is he explains how prayer can be hypocritical. And so what he does is, is this. He begins to explain or continues to explain. He says, for they, speaking of, of the hypocrites, he says, love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners. Now, in the Old Testament, a little history for you. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the primary position of prayer was either on the knees or prostrate on the ground, face down before God. Somehow, some way, through tradition, uh, things begin to change. And now in the New Testament, the new fad is that you stand and you pray. I don't know who thought that up, but they're like, hey, let's stand and pray. That's all the new rage. And so everybody's like, all right, no more kneeling. Let's stand. And so that began to identify the primary way to be able to pray. 
And people, over time, again, begin to acquire even more traditions, and they begin to pray at specific times during the day. Some begin to pray at in the three major times were 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, or 12 o'clock noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so people would pray all these times. They would also begin to memorize all their prayers. Up to 18 specific prayers they would memorize, and then they would begin to say them in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. Now, if you were in Jerusalem, you would try to go to the temple, if at all possible, and begin to go at these times and pray these specific prayers. If you weren't in Jerusalem, you'd maybe go to a synagogue, or you would stop wherever you are, stop doing whatever you were doing at that particular moment, and you would begin to pray, even if it was at a busy intersection, which he's talking about here. Even on the street, you drop everything, you begin to pray. Now, let me tell you what I don't believe that Jesus is doing. I don't believe he's ultimately saying that there are certain places you pray and certain places you don't. We, uh, God is not the United States government, okay? All right, telling you where and where you cannot pray or what you can do and how you need to pray. That's not it. You can pray anywhere you ultimately want to be able to pray. I don't think he's saying there's a certain position. You know, it's not like Tebowing. You know, now where we all Tebow, that's the new way. That's the only way you can really pray for God to hear your prayer. And I, I'm, I'm certainly sure that he's not saying, hey, the only way God's going to hear your prayer is if you do it three times a day. I don't think he's saying that, but I don't think he's saying it's wrong to do any of that. I don't think he says it's wrong to be able to, pre, uh, to pray on a street corner or it's wrong for you to set specific times to pray during the day. It could be, it could be very helpful for us to condition ourselves and discipline uh, ourselves for a life of prayer. But what I think he's ultimately doing is this, is I think what he is suggesting is if you do all that and you organize your whole schedule so that at the very time of prayer, you just so happen to be at the busiest intersection of the city surrounded by a multiple number of people so that they will hear the very prayers that you are saying. And then in light of that, they begin to think that you're spiritual. That's what Jesus Christ is against. He says, listen, the reason for that is because it lacks all sincerity in prayer. What is prayer? It's not conversation between you and somebody else. It's not a conversation about you trying to communicate anything to other people. It's this intimate communication between you and God. The focus should be on Christ and Christ alone. And so he's talking about sincerity. When you pray, be sincere. The second thing is, is this, is not only hypocrisy demonstrate insincerity in our prayer, but indifference can demonstrate insincerity in our prayer. It's indifference. Here's, look, on one stage, you got these guys who get up in front of everybody and wants everybody to hear every enunciated word that they pray, because when they hear it, they want to think, wow, that guy has got it together. This group is completely different. They still pray three times a day. They quote all the same exact scriptures. But what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get through the prayer, man. They're like, oh, it's 9 o'clock. And they mumble through all their prayers. And what ultimately happens is, once again, their heart is far away. They're not focused. They're not engaged. There's no sincerity in what it is that they're ultimately praying uh, to God. And Jesus condemns that generation this way. Jesus says, these people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far away. They want to be engaged. They want to be sincere. want to be authentic when you're approaching your prayers towards God. 
let me give you a quick illustration, and then I'll, I'll give you a little bit longer one here because you all like illustrations. So here, here's, here's what it is. Jimmy just told me afterwards. I thought this was funny. He goes, you know, he goes, when you're talking about that, just don't share this with the second service. And so uh, I am. And so, uh, so this is what Jimmy says. He goes, yeah, about that sincere thing. He goes, yeah, I always pray for my wife. We're in bed. I always pray for her right before I ultimately go to bed. And he goes, and so she asked me, she said, are you going to pray for me tonight? And he goes, absolutely. And he goes, and I was so tired. I put my hand on her shoulder. He says, God, we thank you for this day. And we ask you to bless this meal and bless it to our bodies, right? And, 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 she, and she all of a sudden he felt her life. And he was just kind of going through the motions, right? There was no sincerity within this prayer. When I was in seminary uh, many, many moons ago, uh, one of the most difficult classes we had was uh, sermon, sermon delivery. And can you imagine this? You get up in front of all of your peers, and basically, just like you guys, they just pick you apart. I mean, they just like, mm, you shouldn't stand that way, you shouldn't look that way. I don't know what's going on with your nose, but something's bad. And so they just like condemn you. I mean, it's, it's terrible. And so one of the things that the professors do is when you get up is they try to do this principle. They try to help you find your own voice. Now, let me explain what that means. It simply means that uh, every young preacher that preaches usually kind of idolizes in some way or another or admires some other preacher that they aspire to be like, like a John Piper or John MacArthur or whoever it might be, a Dan Walsh, whoever it is they, they are aspiring to ultimately be like. And so, so they're looking towards that. And then what they do is they begin to take on their mannerisms and they begin to talk like them. And they begin to talk unlike what they normally would do in any shape, in any way. So here's how it would go. You'd go in, the guy would be uh, getting ready to be able to share uh, with people and preach. And he goes, okay, what scripture are you preaching from? Tell us that first. And he goes, "Uh, well, I'll be preaching from Romans chapter 1. Now, this is the guy that you just got done talking with about afterwards where you're going to eat. He gets up into the pulpit, and then all of a sudden he does one of these numbers. He goes, let's pray. Dear Father, we want to get under the spout where the glory falls out. We want to get tore up from the floor up. We want to get right before we get left. Oh, dear Lord God, Daddy, help us, right? And he begins to go through this really, and it's so funny because it's so identifiable. Hey, man, guys, what's up? Oh, dear God, in the pulpit. And all of a sudden, for almost all of us, the professor would be like, time out. Who did you just become in the pulpit? You just completely change the person that you ultimately are from one moment to the next. And one thing that he kept encouraging us is this, is he goes, is your people see phonies and they see through phonies all the time. They don't need to see a phony in the pulpit. They go, just be who you are. And, I, and listen, I struggled with this for years and re- years and years. Joyce will tell you this. I wanted to be Dr. Herb Revis at North Jacksonville Baptist Church. I love Dr. Revis. Love him. Love what he meant to me. I've served on staff with him. Love him. And that dude can flat out shuck the corn, shell the peas, right? And so, so he could do all this. And there's a reason why they call him hollering Herb Revis right? Because the dude hollers all the time. I mean, all the way through. And so I wanted to be like Dr. Revis, right? And so I would start hollering. I just didn't do it well, though, okay? And so it's kind of like he hollers at the right point and draws everybody in. I just always hollered at the wrong point. You know, I'm like, open up your Bible, right? And, and you're just, you're shooting stuff, and you're like, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. Well, he yells at people. People feel encouraged. They flood the altar. I yell at people. They leave the church. I get home. I feel depressed. Well, is like, what's wrong? Oh, my throat is killing me. I, I just, whatever, whatever. And then finally in my doctoral work, we finally had a guy who goes, man, what in the world is that? Where are you from? I said, originally Connecticut. He goes, and then where? And he goes, I go, South Florida? 
He goes, why are you preaching like a country guy? I go, that's what I learned to preach like. And he goes, look, Mike, here, listen, you are infinitely better at being you than you will ever be at being somebody else. They go, just get up and just be yourself and just share with the people the same way you would talk with them in the front row. Go and share with them, you know, share with them from the pulpit. Just, Just be who you are. Now, if you're like that, and you like all that and get under the foul where the glory falls out, guy, and you that's who you are, then wonderful. Just be who you are. And here's, here's what I'm saying is, the professor was trying to say, people don't want to listen to a phony, and they can see right through it. And here's what I just want to share with you this morning is, is God doesn't want you to be somebody else when you come to pray with him. He doesn't want you to be Pastor Mike. He doesn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be you. He knows who you are. You can't pretend to be anybody else. He just wants you to come to him in, in, in pure, uh, in pure uh, excuse me, in pure um, just sincerity of heart. Come and just begin to talk with him in prayer. It's the first thing that the scriptures tell us. First of all, we need to pray with sincerity. Secondly, we need to pray with secrecy, with secrecy. Now, notice what the Bible says. It says, but when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door and pray to your father so that in, uh, who is in secret. When he says, but when you pray, he's drawing this stark contrast between the way that, that the irreligious hypocrite prays and the way that God would have us to pray towards him. And what he says is instead of putting your prayers on display to be judged by other people and have them think that you're spiritual, look what he says. He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the father who is in secret. Now, the word uh, room there literally means a small room, and it wouldn't have been lost on his original Jewish audience. Many of the Jews, they understood what it was like to have a little secret room inside of their house where they would store and hide their valuables. Like, like, like some of you who are preppers, you know what I mean by the secret room. Right, anyway, so anyway, you have this secret room where all those things are in there. And, and what happens is the room would be so small that really the idea was only maybe you could fit in it and nobody else. And so let me tell you what I don't think he's saying. Let me save you some construction work. I don't think he's saying the only place for you to pray is in a small prayer closet to go and build that in your home. And the reason is because some of the people that he would have been talking to barely had a home to begin with. The small room literally was their entire house. So I don't think he's given us definitive instructions on, on that we can only pray there. Again, uh, the Bible assumes that sometimes we're going to pray together as a faith family. In fact, when we begin to look at the manner of prayer, he says, our Father who are in heaven, the way that he instructs us to pray is assuming that, that more people are going to be a part of what we're saying and what we're, we're, we're praying. And so what he says here is, is, is no, it's, it's this idea instead he's emphasizing here is ridding yourself of every distraction going alone and being by yourself to rid yourself of every outside distraction, including the distraction of you wanting to impress people with your prayer life. If you go and you're alone and you, and you move all that away and you get by yourself alone with God, there's only one other person to be able to speak to. So I think that this is the emphasis that Jesus is bringing about here. Just a conversation between you and them. And then notice what he says. When you get into the small room, nobody else may hear you, but he assures us that he, Jesus, or God, will see what it is that you are doing, and he will reward you for your earnest prayer. It's only God that needs to really be able to hear your prayer. Now, there's a scripture passage I find so helpful in this area of prayer, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's probably very familiar to many of you. But oftentimes we don't think in terms of prayer. Here's what it says. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. That first phrase that says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. If that is true, we know that it is because it's the teaching of the word. You have to have faith to please God. Then I can't think of a better way to please God than in prayer. Because prayer is all about trusting God. It's coming to him and saying, listen, I'm not in control. I'm not trusting anybody else. I'm solely trusting you and you alone. And when you continue on with that passage, it says, forever would draw near to God. What a better way to draw near to God than through prayer. And then he says, he says that he exists and you're demonstrating that you believe he exists because there's nobody else hearing you talk except for God. And then he says that he rewards those who seek him. And so what I think he's saying is, hey, man, get away from everybody else. Get alone. Not saying that you can't pray with other people, but get alone and be in secret with God alone and pray to him. And here's what I would add to this. I would even say even allow some of your prayers to be in secret. Okay? All right? Let them be in secret. Let you be in secret. The point is not to draw attention to yourself. The point is for you to draw attention to God. So you have to be very careful because we know that the heart is exceedingly wicked, yes? So don't get a little prayer closet in secret and pray secret prayers, but let everybody know where you're going and what you're going to do, right? Where are you going? Well, I have a secret prayer closet, and I'm going to go pray some secret prayers, okay? Don't do that. Just leave it alone get to that prayer, but I think there's an essence of letting your prayer itself be secret. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not for a moment suggesting that we should not pr- share prayer requests with those brothers and sisters in Christ around us. We need to share those things. When we're struggling with sin, we need to have a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever it might be, to be able to pray for us. You've got big needs, you know, you, get, you have a sick child, you've got to want as many people to know about that as possible to be able to intercede for you and to be able to help you, and there's certainly those times of pain. But what I'm, in, in fact, when you're going through there, sometimes people will even say, man, thank you so much for your prayers. Your prayers for me are an encouragement for me during this time. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to intercede with each other. But might I suggest that sometimes it might be good that some of those prayers be secret simply between you and God. You say, well, or sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're right. Well, I think it really deals with the motivation. When I was 15 years of age, um, my parents, who loved me so much, uh, decided that they were going to send me for eight weeks to former uh, communist Poland for eight weeks. And uh, that's why I have issues, okay? And so, uh, you know, I, I think of my own children. I'm like, yeah, communist country, my kids for two months, no way. They were like, yeah, way, all right, go. And so uh, I had to raise some money. And um, about $3,000 to be able to go. And my parents always, for as long as I remember, would have Bible studies in the home where we'd have prayer and we'd study the word and for a long period of time. And uh, so when we would be in there, at the very end of the, uh, of the Bible study, they'd say, let's have prayer requests. And, you know, because we're, you know, you always had the, the uh, unspoken, unspoken, unspoken. I never understood that. Still don't understand that. I just got an unspoken. Okay, yeah, all right. thanks for letting us know. Don't know how to pray about that. How do I pray for an unspoken? But you, you get what I'm saying, all right? Uh, unspoken, and so I guess that's secret, but whatever. And so then I got there, and I said, well, I don't have an unspoken. I've got a spoken. And my spoken, my spoken is that I need $3,000 to be able to go on this mission trip. And I'm just praying that, that God would, you know, supply that for me. Now, I got to tell you, when I first gave that, that prayer request, for the best that I know, and I may not know myself well, that I felt like I was very sincere in that. I'm thinking, how am I going to raise 3000 bucks? I'm 15. I'm not going to be able to do this. Then at the very end of the prayer service, God began to answer my prayer. 
all these uh, senior adults in our like small group stand, started handing me hundies. Right? They just began, here's 100, here's 100. Do you take a check? Absolutely. I'll take Visa, credit card, MasterCard, whatever. You know, just sign me up. Just, just hand it to me. And at the end of that, I'm like, well, that's a quick answer to prayer. And I am, you know, money coming out of my pockets. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. And then I said, Dad, I know how to raise the rest of the money. Just ask for prayer requests for people, and they'll throw money at you. And my dad very quickly began to understand what was going on there. And he goes, I want to guard you from something. He goes, let's make a deal. I said, what is that? He goes, nothing wrong with you. I think you were sincere in your prayer. But from here on out, let's not tell anybody else that you need to raise money. If you want to ask for prayer, tell them that you're preparing to be able to go on a trip and just pray for you as you prepare to be able to go on that trip, that God would be in it. And if he wants you to go, that you would go. Never mention money again. And I got to tell you, I did not like that advice at all. I didn't like that advice at all because I'm like, man, I could have this thing all wrapped up. Another three prayer meetings, man, I could have this thing all sewn up and I could be on the way to Poland, right? My dad is getting in the way, right? And so me doing, but what I kind of began to realize there, and this is what it did, by learning to pray in secret about my needs, my faith grew immensely because I was no longer depending on other people to be able to meet my needs. Now, now, look, I got to be really careful with this because people start going crazy because now you'll go into small group and here's what you'll say to each other. Hey, listen, guys, I lost my job, but I'm not asking anybody to give me money like Pastor Mike said. All right, you don't have to go through all that, all right? All, you're do, all, all we're doing is, is sitting there, and, and sometimes when you just go in secret and you say, God, I need this from you, nobody else knows. What you do is you fully and completely entrust yourself to God when nobody else knows about it. And when God, when he doesn't do something about it and you don't receive it, you sit back and you realize, God, apparently he didn't want me to have it. If he does do something about it, your faith grows immensely. Here's one of the things that I think, I think we all want to see God work and we want to see him through prayer, but I'm not so sure we ever give him the opportunity to work through prayer. I think sometimes going alone, being alone and just praying to God in secret, taking away all the distractions and just praying something to him that only he knows about when he answers that prayer, you believe in him all the more. Amen? So those are two things that we certainly need to do. We need to pray with sincerity. We need to pray with secrecy. And finally, we need to pray with simplicity. The Bible says in verse 7, it says, And when you pray, it says, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what, what the Jewish people were doing as they were suffering is they had picked up some bad habits from the Gentiles. The Gentiles believed, because of their skewed view of all these false gods, they believed that false gods had to be conjured up in some way. They had to be manipulated some way. One author puts it this way. Those who prayed to pagan gods thought their deities first had to be aroused, conjoled, uh, intimidated, and badgered into listening and answering. And so what you had to do is it's not as though the gods ever cared for you. You had to manipulate them enough or bug them enough to try to get them to be able to work on your behalf. And so we see this illustration in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 26 through 29. There's a story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And what they're trying to prove is whose God is real, whose gods are real in this case. And so he basically throws down and he says, hey, look, let's make two altars. We'll put a bull on it. Whoever's God consumes the offering is the one in true God. And since I'm a gentleman and so humble, you go first. 
So the 450 prophets of Baal begin to cry out to God. Here's what the scriptures say. And they, and they took the bull that was given them and they, and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, Baal, answer us. And then they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering. And then notice this, he says, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid any attention. Now, here's the good news for you. God, your God, does not need to be aroused, cajoled, intimidated, badgered to listen and to answer prayer. He needs none of those things. He's a God who is always listening, who wants to talk, who wants to communicate, who wants you ultimately to be able to pray very sincerely with him, very secretly with him at times, but very simply with him. See, what was happening here is they begin to believe that you could put together a string of prayers, and if you get them just in a right way, almost like an equation or like a formula or like a potion, if you just get it all in there just right, then God is going to answer your question. But you just have to be at it long enough. You just have to pray the right stuff, and eventually it will happen for you. Now, I know that seems a little bit ancient and a little bit removed, but if any of you were like me with my Roman Catholic background, right, and family, uh, you remember those times where you had the rosaries and you had to pray so many Our Fathers and Hail Marys and things like that? What, what's the essence of that? Hey, here's my need. What do you do? Pray this way in these things to be able to help your prayers to be able to come through. Well, listen, our God cannot be manipulated. No matter how we ultimately ask for it, no matter what we say, you know all the Bible requires is just make your request be known to God. You don't have to flower it up. You don't have to beautify it. Just make it simple. Just tell him what's ultimately on your heart. See, I think that we skew our children a little bit, and I think all of us would agree. Yeah, we skew our children, and here's kind of what we do. And it's, it's, when we're teaching them good manners, what do we tell them if they want something? What do we tell them they have to say? Please, right? I mean, please, right? You know, I want the cup, cup, cup. All right, cup, please, right? How many times do you say that? It, like, drives you insane, right? And you're like, how many times, right? Cup, please, no, sir. Yes, sir. However, whatever you're doing within your home. And then what they begin to put together is the way that they ultimately ask, if they ask in the right way, it will magically make you do whatever it is that they want you to do. Right? And so it goes from, yeah, cup please, to asking things that there's no way that you're going to give them. And it goes to pretty please. Pretty please with sugar on top of it. Oh, with sugar on top of it. How can I say no, right? And it, it's kind of like this magical type of way. And that's what they're thinking. If I could just some kind of conjure you up with all the right flowery conversation, you know, it will ultimately happen. And, and let me say this as a loving parent. It doesn't matter how many times my children ask me for something. It doesn't matter how polite they are in asking me for something. It doesn't matter how wonderful and how humble they are in asking something. If I don't think what they're asking for them is good, I will not ultimately give it to them, no matter how much begging, no matter how much pleading. How much more as a good father, as our good father who loves us and cares for us and nurtures us, who loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that his righteous wrath could be absorbed and satisfied. How much that God, how much more is he willing for us just to lay our petitions before God? Just leave it there and trust him. Just a level of simplicity. 
trying to get complex. We're not trying to think that, hey, if I could just do this. And that's what I don't want. Is we, in the next couple of weeks, as we begin to kind of talk about unpacking this kind of method or methodology uh, of, in manner in which we're, we're supposed to pray, and we're finding the things we would pray, I just don't want you to sit there and go, okay, I got the acts of prayer. Here's adoration. I got that. And if I do all these things right, it's going to increase my ability of getting this prayer answered. It's not the kind of God that we answer pray or that, that we serve. He says here that God already knows what you need before you even ask. We say then again, why asking? Why when we pray to God, why, why do it sincerely? Why, why ultimately do it in secret? Why ultimately do it with the simplicity? It's because, again, it shows complete and utter faith in God and God alone. And that's what he wants. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust fully on him and nobody else and nothing else but him fully and completely. Why? Because he is a good, giving, loving God. He knows what is best and he is glorified when we do so. So simple message, right? In sincerity of our prayer. Are you sincere? Or is it every, every, every prayer that we have almost like our dinner prayer? God, we thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies and our body for your service. We're done. It's almost like you, you ever arrive at work and you wonder how you got there? Right? You so get into a pattern, you so get into a routine that you, you don't, don't even realize what, what you passed when you got there. That's not how prayer should be. It's in the secrecy, man. Just get away from stuff. And here's the problem that you're going to have. When you get away from stuff and you get all this distraction, then you're going to have to deal with the, you know, um, uh, the different distractions in your own mind. You have enough in your own mind. Block out the world to be able to do it, Jesus says. And finally, just make it simple. Something that you need today, something that you want God to do, it's not going to be through your many words that you're going to stir him up all the more. Again, listen, I'm not suggesting that repeating the prayer is not wrong. Let me, let me say this. Let me make sure I clear this up and we'll close. You know, there's a story in Luke, uh, in, in, in the story of Luke, where, where a woman um, comes to a judge and she asks over and over and over and over again. And she's the persistent widow. It's a story that we know. And what she's asking this judge, and he's described as a man that neither fears man nor God. And he says he comes and she just wants justice. Somebody had done something wrong and she wants justice. And she comes and finally he goes, look, you've worn me out. You've worn me out. I'll do what it is that you ultimately want me to do. And then the scriptures go on, and the scriptures in the end says this. And it says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What the scripture is not saying is that by you just asking a million times, a million one times, that God's going to do it because of your asking. What it's ultimately saying is it's okay sometimes to ask over and over again. It's okay to, to, to do, do, do you hear what I'm saying? It, it's okay. But there's a difference between asking so many times because you're manipulating, and it's different than you asking and asking again because you're desperate. You're just desperate. Sometimes if, you're, if your child was ever sick, or maybe you're sick at this particular point, you're probably not going to pray for world peace at this moment, right? Your prayer and your consistent prayer is going to be for your child. Your consistent prayer is probably going to be at your health for that particular moment. And you're going to pray that God understands that he knows that. But he wants us to depend fully and completely on him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. God, you are a good God. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's so simple message this morning. And I think it's simple and I think it's good and I think it's needed. Because when we actually begin to get into the prayer and begin to talk about how it be thy name and all those things. Those are lofty ideas, lofty concepts. 
But God, I thank you that through your wisdom today, we just needed to be able to sit back and as we begin to take part in prayer, that we do it exactly how you've instructed us to do it. God, I pray that we'll block everything out this morning and whatever is prayed in this place will just be with great sincerity of heart. Maybe simplistic. It doesn't matter. You are a great God. Let us follow your way of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? And I'm gonna ask you to pray during this time. But if you need to know more about Christ, you wanna know more about salvation, you wanna know how to have a right relationship with God, I certainly wanna talk with you about that either now or even after the service. I'll be down here now and after the service, but let's just move and do what God has been calling us to do as we sing.